listening to the podcast Advertising Playbook, your resource to better understand and execute successful podcast ad campaigns. Hello, and welcome to the podcast Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. And today on the program, I have Marty Michael. Marty is the CEO and co-founder of HeadGum and Gumball. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So Marty, you and I were just talking that we both have been in this space for a really long time. And for some reason, we have never met. So it's great to have really a first conversation with you here today. Thanks thanks for coming on and being willing to have this conversation. Yeah, of course. I was actually just thinking and racking my brain for how long I've been working in this industry. And like the math is, I think the last two years have just screwed up all of my math for how long I've been doing anything. But uh, it's been close to seven years since I started. Yeah, it'll be seven years in August, which is, you know, sometimes feels like a blink of an eye and other times feels like three lifetimes. So it's a nice combination. Wow. So you and I got in about the same time because I started in January of 2016. And I can't believe, like you said, I'm like, it's been six years, which feels like it's gone by like nothing. But it's like six years is kind of a long time in the podcast space. Yeah. I mean, well, we've seen it. We've seen several iterations of the priorities for this space and also the way that content is being developed and the different types of players who are involved, but also at a larger scale, just the talent that has entered the space, I think, has really evolved the way that everyone is thinking about it. So very interesting to watch. Yeah, for sure. Well, and so that's a good place for us to start because HeadGum is where you began and HeadGum is a network and you actually started by producing podcasts. Is that correct? Yeah. So prior to jumping into the space, I was working at a website called College Humor. I was doing advertising sales there. I had met two of the content creators on the platform. The names are Jake and Amir. They have a long running YouTube series on College Humor and and it was called Jake and Amir, (laughs) their names. It had over like a billion views on YouTube. I would sell a lot of branded content with their involvement, meaning like they would talk about a brand communicate the brand story to their audience where he knew and loved them in the format of a video. I later found out that they had a podcast outside of College Humor where they were selling an ad unit called a host red advertisement that was feeling very similar. The main differences were that College Humor, it would cost somewhere between $250,000 and $500,000 and take months to produce the asset. Whereas on the podcast side, when I was helping them sell that, it was $2,000 and we could turn it around overnight. So a light bulb went off for me in that moment to say, man, once these bigger brands like P&G and Coca-Cola figure out that they can have a much more efficient vehicle to tell their story, there's going to be a massive influx of brand dollars to the space. So I asked Jake and Mary, I said, hey, do you guys, we should start a comedy podcast network. You should ask your friends and family, you know, they have a pretty wide network from their involvement in the digital space to start podcasts. And we should start a network using your show as the flagship. And so we did that. We were all living in New York at the time. We were in a Brooklyn bar. We came up with 300 names and only three were available URLs. And that's how HeadGut was born. Oh, man, that is so cool. What a great story. What I love is that you do produce so much content. And I think a lot of companies in the advertising space in particular are just really on the ad side, which is good too. But you had really entered the space through the content creation. Of course, you were selling ads into the shows that you created, but then you started Gumball. And so I guess I'm curious to know, you know, what the timeline was kind of like and what made you guys decide, hey, HeadGum is awesome, but let's create something else in addition to what we've got. 
I think for us, we had a really nice starting point. We had a show that already had a large audience, was already making money, was actually coming from a different network when we started our business. So we had a lot of knowledge around what it took to sell these ads. I'd already been assisting in the process a little bit on sidelines. So when we launched, and especially with my background being in sales, we kind of knew what it took to fill the inventory that we had. Now, the next challenge for us was to grow all that inventory. So we took a very hybrid approach where we were creating some content, but we were also acting as a network and helping produce and distribute other content. And that went from like 10 shows and 500,000 downloads to 30 shows and 10 million downloads pretty quickly. And in that process, we or myself quickly realized that the lift, the manual lift it takes to sell host red ads across that many shows, it kind of has a cap unless you're hiring an infrastructure and a staff of 50 plus people. So I had this idea to bring tools that are often used in the digital and TV space to help connect brands and podcasters in a more automated fashion rather than having to rely on a sales team. That idea was Gumball. At the time, it needed some sort of technology partner or person to come on board and help flesh out the idea and really build the product. So lucky for us, College Humor is a sister company of Vimeo. And Mm -hmm. the CTO at Vimeo, who had been there for 10 plus years, was one of the first employees, was all a friend of ours because we're all working under the same roof for a long time. And his name is Andrew Pyle. Andrew joined us after I pitched him on the idea and started building Gumball. So we've been working on that internally for like two years before launching it publicly at the beginning of 2020. And really, there isn't anyone more qualified to be working on a product like this. He's a very, very talented engineer. And so that helped us spearhead that project and launch that. What we found is that it decreased the amount of work that we were doing on selling and connecting brands with podcasters by about 80 to 90%. Really? So it allowed us to start, yeah, it allowed us to start scaling the business much more rapidly. And we've been adding shows on the platform. We've been seeing a lot of success with the halo effects of having 350, 400 brands already utilizing the shows that are on the platform that we started with, with the content we had been producing and creating for a long time and getting those brands to test new shows who are joining the platform and vice versa, new shows that join. Maybe there's an advertiser that hasn't worked with some of the other shows that are on the platform, bringing that advertiser into the space to buy it across the entire catalog and marketplace, it's working really well. So we're seeing a lot of traction on both sides. It's been very fun to watch. I think, you know, looking back four years ago, this was like a really fun idea. And I I kind of always knew that it could have legs, but until you actually get it out there and see it start ramping up, it's just kind of a dream. So to see it actually work is really, really exciting. We're at a very interesting crossroad where now we're seeing somewhat of a snowball effect. We're hiring a lot of people and we're really going to try and grow this thing into something very special. So I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I didn't realize that Gumball was so new. I mean, gosh, we're talking about two years, you know, essentially in my mind, it was older than that. So kudos to you for doing a good job. (laughs) In my mind, yeah, I thought it had been around longer. I'm curious, you know, I do feel like there has been 
an uplift in the number of marketplaces. Advertise Cast, I think, is probably like the first one to exist. And, you know, obviously you've got Gumball, you've got Podcorn, you've got Zvook now, which is kind of a newer platform. Um, trying to think of others. I don't know. There are others like maybe Red Circle, where there, it, it feels like there are, I would say, several kind of more marketplace type um, sites now than there had been for, you know, for a long time. What kind of sets Gumball apart or what makes you different than some of the other marketplaces? That's a great question. And there are times, so not a ton, but there are a few. And you named mm -hmm. the ones that I would have named. If we look at the landscape in general, a few of them, the first two you named are both been acquired. So mm -hmm. they're in different places now, integrating with different other platforms to try and create something bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that we did so successfully that really sets us apart is that we standardized the unit that's being sold and allowed that to work across all the shows that are listed in the marketplace. What that does is it allows a brand to come in, shop all the different shows and see real-time available inventory, add it to your cart and check out within like 30 seconds. So you can actually, as a brand, come in, build a plan, see what's actually available, check out with a credit card and it purchases the campaign, places those ads on the podcast or on the creator side and the creator can see what ads have been purchased so they know what they need to read week over week. The transparency of all of that is something that's really special to what we're building. I think if you look at some of the other platforms, they lack that real-time available inventory. So mm -hmm. basically what you're looking at is a message board where brands can post potential campaigns and then the onus is on the creator to go raise their hand and try and submit for those. That mm -hmm. is a lot of lift for a creator mm -hmm. who wants to focus on creating the best content they can. Mm -hmm. So in, in turn, what we created is a way for them to list that inventory in real time and get it bought without them having to do anything. Mm -hmm. I really put, the, put the buying power back in the brand's hands. Right. Which is what they want. And when we look when we talk about scale, that's one of the challenges, right? It's there is so much going back and forth and yes and no, and I can maybe not, I don't know, right? <laughs> Run the ad. So when you talk about creating an ad unit, do you mean that all the ad units are are similar or the same? You know, I think one of the challenges with independent content creators is this one wants to do a 30 second, this one wants to do a 60, this one's got a mid-roll, this one's got a pre-roll, this one's mid-roll is really more like a post-roll, this one's mid-roll is really more like a pre-roll, this one does dynamic insertion, this one does embedded ad reads. So are you able to try to standardize some of that or? Yeah. So the main thing that we've been able to do is identify the time frame in which an ad is running so that we can come up with a comparable impression level between show to show. So we can run embedded ads, we can run dynamic ads, we can run 30 second spots, we can run 60 second spots. And all of that is labeled transparently when a buyer is coming in. So they know exactly what they're getting when they purchase. The thing that allows us to keep the available inventory so, uh, I guess transparent for lack of a better word is that we basically said, okay, if your show is dropping on a Monday on a weekly cadence, we're going to sell your show one week at a time. So if it's a dynamic show, you're getting impressions from Monday to Sunday. And then if it's a embedded show, you're getting Monday for 30 days out. 
but you're getting your ad inserted on the drop date of the newest episode. So the majority of the impressions that are going to come on a dynamic show are going to be on the newest episodes, like 80%. And 20% of the rest of that inventory for the week will come from the back catalog. Now, those are estimates. It depends on how new the show is. And I'm sure you know a lot about that. But because we did that, we can actually list all the different ad slots. So let's say if, if I were you, for example, they have two different mid-roll breaks. That's how they sell their show. So they have on the platform, you come in, you can see, all right, next Monday's episode, it has four different ad spots available. Three have already been purchased. One is still available for purchase. So you can go in, you can see exactly what that slot is. You can add it to your cart. You can then look for future weeks if you wanted to buy or test two or three weeks and then check out once you have all of the spots that you want to add to your cart. And in terms of the quantity of shows that you have on Gumball, how many podcasts would you say you guys have on the platform right now? We have a little bit over, or we have close to 150. So when we launched, we launched with our 30 head gum shows. And Uh that was about two years ago. We took our first round of investment in the middle of 2020, and we were able to hire some people to help spread the word about what we were building and Mm -hmm. started ramping up the marketplace. We went from about 30 shows to 60 shows. And then we really doubled down with the way that we were approaching the market and grew a lot faster. We made some tweaks to our messaging and really what we were prioritizing on the marketplace uh, Mm -hmm. for creators. Mm -hmm. And so that helped us go from 60 to 150 in like the last six months, which is kind of that snowball effect that I was referencing earlier. Yeah, that's great. And I know that there are certainly are representation firms out there like True Native Media and certainly like lots of different companies that do representation. And most of those do require exclusivity, but shows on Gumball don't require exclusivity, right? You're like, hey, come list your, essentially your open inventory here on the platform. And if we can book ads for you, great, is kind of the understanding I have. Is that correct? That is correct. So we work with, exclusive contracts. We also work with non-exclusive contracts. I, you know, what we built works. And what that means is that we can add content to the platform and there isn't really a lift for what we have to provide because the system runs itself and is really efficient at doing that. So when we're working with non-exclusive content creators, the rev share is different than when we're working with exclusive content creators. And that mechanism with the amount of money that they're making on the platform is kind of how we distinguish between the two. Mm, I see. I see. Okay. That makes total sense. So in terms of kind of looking at all of the options there are out there for potential advertisers to purchase ads what do you think is the best route for an advertiser to go down? I think that's one question that I get a lot when I'm talking to brand new advertisers is how how should I go about buying podcast advertising? And, you know, obviously you can go direct to the show, you can go to networks, you can go to rep firms, you can go, you know, try and buy programmatically, and then you can go to marketplaces. What kind of path would you say is a good path for a company that's brand new to podcast advertising to kind of go down in order to really put together a campaign that's going to be easy to manage, but also really gets them what they need for success? It's a great question. I- For me, 
as a salesperson, my approach is very different than me talking about what I've built, but I'll try and do a hybrid of both. I mean, the first and most important thing is to figure out exactly what it, the brand is, why they're excited about entering the podcast space to try and learn a little bit more about why they even want to do this in the first place. But as someone who was on the outside selling branded content, extremely passionate about this idea of a creator talking about and telling a brand story to an audience where he knows and loves them, there is no better medium for that than podcasting. So when I made the jump over to podcasting, my priority and our priority at Gumball specifically is host red advertising. It's bringing that brand into an audience and having that creator talk about the brand directly to that audience in a way that no one else can because the audience knows, respects, trusts, and loves those creators that they're listening to on a weekly basis. So for me, it's telling that story to a brand to get them excited about this being the ideal place for that connection. And then talking to them about, you know, there are many ways that you can buy that type of ad within this space, but there are very few ways in which you can do it at scale efficiently. So Mm-hmm. Gumball does that. And I think that we do it in a way that's different than anybody else. And so showing the platform and actually building out a test campaign and showing them how you can do it in 30 seconds rather than like two or three weeks in the traditional RFP process is a really exciting moment to show somebody. So typically, uh, we don't leave calls without somebody being like, wow, I can't believe this doesn't exist anywhere else. Like, what is this? Like, how, how is this not a thing? And that's on us, right? Like we got to tell that story more, more people need to know about it. That's, that's our big priority this year. Yeah, that's awesome. So I know one of the things that we certainly run into is that when you're doing this host red endorsement ad, you want to make sure that the advertiser and the podcaster are, are mutually excited to work with one another. And I know for us, that whole vetting process where I, I I know this morning there was a coffee company that came over, wanted to advertise on one of our shows and the host isn't a coffee drinker. So it's like, hey, I'm just not interested in this. And, you know, in our minds, we're like, come on. But we're looking for those very authentic organic ad reads. And if the host is like, hey, I don't drink coffee. I don't want to do this ad read. We've, we have to respect that. So obviously we want, and I'm so impressed because you are, spot on. I mean, a big part of the challenge in this industry is the time that it takes between, hey, I want to advertise and okay, we've got all of the details of your campaign arranged and like we're going to get started. So how do you how do you kind of reconcile that piece of knowing that the podcaster is going to be excited to promote that brand? One of the things we should say up out front is that selling a host red podcast ad is one of the hardest processes to sell like as a seller it is so there are so many ins and outs and there are so many unique creators and voices and opinions in the space that there is so much that goes into this and truly unless you work in this space you cannot build this marketplace because you will not never understand exactly what you just referenced no you would never understand that so how do we deal with it when we onboard a show we have hundreds of categories and creators can select categories that they're not comfortable working with. That creates a base level for understanding brand, like what brands can buy on that show. Mm -hmm. There are going to be outlier cases. Coffee is probably a pretty good example where we don't have a category for coffee, 
But if somebody, uh, yeah, we might have to <laughs> after this story, maybe we will. But what happens is a brand comes into the platform. When they go to build a campaign, they actually list what kind of category their brand is before they can even see the available inventory. So because of that, our system is built to exclude shows who have flagged that category specifically for of that brand to not be available. Mm-hmm. So we've built like this entire system that takes that into account and a lot of other things that you and I both know go into this space that really are so unique to the space itself, but it takes that into account. Now, mm-hmm. let's say the coffee one as an example sneaks through, your show doesn't drink coffee, they're not interested in that ad, they have 48 hours to decline it, in which case, because of it's a platform in which it all works electronically, we can just refund the ad spot to the brand. There's no, I'd say that happens maybe 1% of the ads that are booked, but we do with the base level of the category exclusivity lists, we've almost nearly eliminated that as an issue. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That is, that's great. I love that so much. And you are spot on. Unless you work in this industry, you have no idea just how complicated it is. And it sounds like you're really trying to take those complications out, which is terrific. Do you feel like there is kind of a tipping point where an advertiser should move from working independent and buying ads in-house and then moving to an agency. Obviously, there are a handful of really strong agencies, most direct response agencies in the space that can coordinate more complex buys. Is there a time when it makes sense for an advertiser to go and work with an agency instead of trying to buy direct? You know, that's a good question. I think about it a lot because I wonder with a product like ours, how does it fit into this ecosystem when the majority of the users of it are obviously the spenders of GTC brands who are running through agencies. So we work with all the major agencies the most, but we have seen a trend where brands are going independent or independent brands are entering the space. And we've seen a lot of success with their ability to do this on their own using products like ours, marketplaces like ours. I don't know that I can answer that question for a brand. I think it really depends on what their priorities are and what their in-house ability and like staff looks like and knowledge of the space. Mm-hmm. This is a convoluted space. There are learnings that can be pulled by agencies, right? They're testing a lot of different shows all the time. So they have insight into which shows are effective and which maybe are less effective. I think that that is worth something, but I'm not sure that the agency will always hold the keys to that answer forever. Uh, I think like there's no reason why we can't project that same information to brands eventually. Yeah, it's tough. It There's value in both. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's great. What, what do you think about tracking the results of campaigns? Do you have like some best practices? I mean, obviously everybody in this space has forever done the promo codes and unique URLs and stuff. But as you know, you guys are working with brands, how do you communicate what KPIs they should be looking at or what really does constitute an effective campaign? This is one of the craziest things about this industry is that this information is held close to the chest by the brands because it's their leveraging power against renewals and the rates that they're paying. And Companies like obviously the news dropped yesterday. I went, I don't know. The news dropped yesterday, pod sites and charter will be acquired by Spotify. 
those were two brands that were trying to break that down so that everyone had more insight into what was the effectiveness of those ad reads. I think that's helpful. I don't think it was like the end all be all for information. The coupon code and the unique URL really is like the ideal way to track this for these brands because of the way that podcasting is set up on the RSS feed and the lack of information that comes from plays versus streams versus downloads. So the brands holding that information for themselves really is like their leverage against us as the vendor. I I think that there will be now that these two companies have been acquired, I think there will be more that try and help enter the space and break some of this info down. I also think that the beauty of this space is that it doesn't rely on all of that data. It relies more on the human connection of this creator with the audience. So you're getting what we're going to get away from in the future is this idea that there has to be some sort of KPIs that are hit and there will be more recognition into the value of a creator talking about your brand. Mm -hmm. Like when we talk, when we look at television as an example, having a spokesperson do your ad read is infinitely more valuable than not. And that intrinsic value that's not trackable is something that gets weighted very heavily in television and has what I assume is very little value currently in podcasting when in reality, it's more intimate than any other medium because of the creator, the audience and the recurrence of that audience coming to listen to that creator. So it's an unrivaled space as far as that connection. And I think that there will be more emphasis and value placed on that in the future than there is right now. Mm-hmm. I, I totally wholeheartedly agree with what, what you said. And it is really fascinating, you know, pod sites and chartable being acquired by Spotify certainly changes the landscape. And I, I think we're all very interested to see what is going to happen next, because in some ways, I think as an industry, we had become fairly reliant on both of those companies to provide us with a level of data. And it's going to be interesting to see if maybe that information gets put behind a wall of some sort that maybe not everyone in the industry can access. So very interested to see what happens with that. But I also... I. I I do think that you're spot on when you're talking about the idea that this host read isn't being valued correctly and um, not sure that the number is totally correct, but I had heard recently that Dax Shepard is charging a $300 CPM. And I don't know, I was talking to somebody, they're like, that's crazy. I can't believe he's charging a $300 CPM. And I'm like, is it really crazy though? Because if HelloFresh came to him and said, hey, we want you to be our brand ambassador, he'd be like, sure, that'll be $5 million. Thank you. Right? Like, I mean, you would pay celebrities and and big names a lot of money for them to be a brand ambassador for you. And yet we're going to charge a $20 CPM for you to give us an endorsement read. Like, how is that in line? And it really isn't. And is a $300 CPM a little pricey? Yeah, it's a little pricey. But is it pricey enough for who that person is and the type of an endorsement that a brand is getting. What are your thoughts? I mean, that I, I fully agree. I think that there will continue to be a shift. I think that the layer of programmatic that's happening and the layer of host thread that are kind of running side by side, they're not ever going, one isn't going to outdo the other. What will happen is that one will provide an understanding for the value of the other. Meaning mm. if you're a programmatic seller, your value is your ability to reach an exact 
lookalike audience member at scale across multiple different shows. Whereas the opposite is if you're a host red buyer, like you're looking at this because this isn't an endorsement from a creator or a celebrity who understands their audience unlike any other. So when we talk about CPMs, there will be a wider division between the two because one happens in a more programmatic way, which is programmatic, which means you can do it more easily. There isn't a lot of lift and you can make that happen at scale for a specific user that you're looking for. And then there's host, right? Which involves like a little bit more lift. It's an ambassador talking about your brand and that will turn, it'll translate to more value, which means higher CPM. So the two will kind of start to separate. Whereas right now they seem like they're kind of still pretty close and people aren't really differentiating the two as much as they should. So when that gap widens, well, let's say someone like Dak Shepard is pulling that gap open. And that is the, the, where I see it happening, where it's going. I think the real thing that we're solving for at Gumball is that we're trying to apply this simplicity of programmatic buying to the value of host red advertising. Mm-hmm. So that is really what our main goal is to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, I mean, it makes so much sense. I agree with you on programmatic and host red ads as well. I think that it is really challenging sometimes because we work really closely with Megaphone, which, you know, love their their hosting platform and also love that Spotify is bringing all these programmatic ads, you know, into the space and Spotify provides a lot of targeting. But I mean, they from what they tell me, and I don't know how true it is, but they say that they're selling programmatic somewhere between 50 and $60 CPM, depending on the targeting that's available. And when we've got companies like AdvertiseCast publishing a $23 average CPM for host reads, I'm like, where is the disconnect here? And why is it that programmatic in some cases is sold for quite a bit more? Of course, then you have other companies like Spreaker that I know typically can sell at a 5 to $10 CPM. So there's huge different ranges, but I would love to see the host red ad really be valued for what it truly is. And when you think about all of the work that goes into creating a host red ad, it is leaps and bounds more work than a programmatic ad. So it makes sense to me, not to mention all of the value that it brings, right? That it would make sense that it should be more expensive. So I'm really, I am hoping that we see a widening there. And, you know, not that I, no one wants a race to the bottom for any podcast inventory, be it programmatic or, you know, host read ads, but I would like to see there be a larger differentiation between the two. So your prediction is that will happen. Yeah, there's two major things happening here that will affect this. The first is that there'll be a general ironing out of the wrinkles because one, there isn't enough information as to what is what yet in the space. Like if you're a new buyer coming into the space, you it's really hard to find one source of information that clearly states what a programmatic ad is what a host red ad is and where you can buy either. So I think that that confusion and is a large player in the, I guess, erratic way or price points of all the different types of ads that are in the space right now. Once there's more transparency into the standardization of these units, which is like a big word that I use often with what we're doing at Gumball is, 
we need to standardize this so that it's really easy to understand. Like right now, if you are even a HelloFresh and you talk to three different networks, they're all selling their ad units differently. Like that's not a helpful thing for a new advertiser coming to the space, trying to figure out how they buy the space. So I think like there is so much more standardization and like agreement onto how the stuff is sold that will help iron those wrinkles out and bring prices into a range in which are easily identifiable by buyers. Mm-hmm. That hasn't happened. And we're still, a lot of it has to do with the fragmentation of the space, which as more and more things are bought by Spotify and <laughs> Entercom and the rest, there will be more evening out of what this information looks like. I Ideally, Gumball is one of those locations in which we can become a larger presence and really dictate the way that these host red ads are sold because I think we have a really good grasp on from our seven years of doing this, like how it should be done and what creators care about when it's being done. So uh, I look forward to being a voice in the room and helping identify that. But until it's more standardized, it'll just, it'll be whatever people want to sell it at individually. And then what brands will care about is the effectiveness on the back end of the way that they bought it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It would be so amazing. And I have heard for a couple of years now rumblings about some sort of an association. And I think that it would be just great if we had a podcast association where we all just sat in the same room and said, hey, let's come up with some standardization. Because the reality is, is that I I want to fit our offerings into the mold that everyone else is offering them in so that it's easier to buy. And it would be really nice if that were the case. You know, we've got a a show we work with that does their own thing. And they sent us a sheet the other day and I just, it just blew my mind. Like they created so much complexity around their offerings and their pricing. And I'm just like, do you realize that you just complicated the system so much more? And if we could all agree on some some basis of like uniformity. And and it's so challenging, right? Because we know the podcast industry was created because we want to, you know, promote that independent voice. And I think the downside of Spotify gobbling up everything is it's taking away all of that independent creator vibe to some degree. And when we look at terrestrial radio, the reason that podcasts were so exciting and people wanted to get into podcasts is because Radio had been so corporatized for so long and had become so homogenous that I think everyone was really eager to create something different. And I hate to think that we're going back to that same place when we have so much consolidation, but I also think that we can have both, right? We can still have the independent creator and we can have standardization. And while I think some of that standardization can come from acquisitions and from mergers, right, that are going to happen, which I don't think is all negative, of course, but it would be good if as an industry, we could come together and make decisions about standardization. What are your thoughts? It's hard. I mean, look, it's hard for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of different levels of weight in this industry. I mean, Spotify holds a lot of weight. They come from the music space. So they're, what they're porting over to podcasting is, was prioritizing music first, right? They're, you know, 
changing their mentality around this, especially on the ad side. But for now, it's still very much just a programmatic solution they ported over from their music side. I, you know, they do sell hosted ads across the shows that they own because they're writing really big checks. These people they need to monetize those shows. The priorities are different. And because the weights are different and the priorities are different from business to business, I think it's extremely difficult for some of the smaller voices in the room to carry the weight necessary to dictate something like that. So I think what we'll see instead is a movement towards transparency. And, and again, I use this word standardization all the time. And I mean, that's what we're trying to figure out, but the idea that if someone can come in and, and find what they're looking for in a world in which they're coming from makes sense to them, meaning like if they're coming from the digital world, they really understand what buying a set amount of impressions looks like, what the CPM is across those impressions and how that would work and be deployed in podcasting. I think that there's more and more transparency around that and that will help buyers understand the space more. I don't know that there will ever be a world, and this also goes back to the absolute difference in size of show too. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know how easy or hard it is to sell this American life because of what the size, if you took my principles on ad standardization and that would make an ad on this American life cost probably like $50 million. So on a weekly basis, I don't know that that's approachable for brands. Maybe it's less, but we're just using hypothetical here. The point being that it works for the type of independent creator that I'm going after and the size of show and, and what brands are willing to spend to test those types of shows. So it works really well for me, but that may not be a size, a one size fits all for the different size of shows that exist. So it, it is a, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting. It's a it challenge. Is. It is. It is. It's challenging and it's interesting. You're totally right. And, you know, we could always look at what what would it be to have different tiers. So if you are this American life, that is going to be a little different than Sally's bread podcast, right? I mean, they shouldn't they shouldn't necessarily fit into the same mold. They're different. They are different content. They have different influence. They have different reach. One of the things that I always look to is YouTube. And I was talking to an advertiser the other day about purchasing YouTube impressions because I feel like more and more podcasters are putting their shows out on YouTube as well. And I was like, hey, like, what are your thoughts about purchasing? This show has got a great YouTube following, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, it's great. We can see the views. You know, we can go into YouTube, we can see the views. And there's this level of transparency with YouTube that we really like. And wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice in podcasting if you could just open a show and say, oh, this show has this kind of viewership or listenership, right? Like it has this size audience. But yeah, there there are so many, so many fun things that we could tackle. And I know we need to start wrapping it up. If if you were going to give a new advertiser in the space three tips on, you know, how to enter the space um, and really succeed, what would those tips be? Wow. Try and do some of your own research. So try and figure out, you know, typically the process for this is that someone on the brand side has a favorite podcast that they listen to and they want their brand to have a voice on that podcast. So what they'll typically do is start with that show and figure out from there how to buy on the show. 
which is an interesting way. I mean, it gets people into the space and it's happening all the time. It's why you hear unique brands on specific shows that are 20,000 download shows, but also 20 million download shows is like the, there's just dedicated audiences to all different sizes of shows. And those people have real jobs too. And some of them work as marketers for these brands. So it transfers into how they want to buy the show. Yes. My, I guess the three tips I would say is like, why do you like that show? Right. So if, if it is because you're loyal to that, to that creator, keep in mind that every single creator has an equally loyal audience that they're tapping into. So break outside of, you know, definitely do what you want to do and buy that show. But I would say, try and find other shows that look similar to that. Think about what's effective in the space and try and tap into that effectiveness. So what are the ads that you hear that you really like? And what are the ads that you hear that you don't like? And try and keep that in mind when you're activating on your ad buy. And what I mean by that is like, don't give people a script, give them talking points that allow them to take that and turn it into their own voice and deliver an add-in to their audience in which they know their audience will like, because that's Mm -hmm. when it's the most effective. And I think the third is there's a lot of scale that can be had here in this middle tier show that you don't have to find on like a Joe Rogan podcast or a Dax Shepard podcast or this American life. And those audiences are equally, as I said earlier, as loyal as a large audience like Joe Rogan. And it's really important to keep that in mind because while it is maybe more challenging at times to go work with multiple different networks, it can be far more effective to work within that middle band. So Mm -hmm. do your research, (laughs) think about the ad reads and really dig deep into the, the types of shows that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Marty, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. I know you and I could probably geek out on podcast industry conversations for several hours. So thank you for condensing it down into uh, this interview. If people want to try out Gumball or if they want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Yeah, gumball.fm. You can go to the homepage and you can submit to either be a brand or a podcaster and that'll notify us and we'll get in touch with you right after that. Perfect. Perfect. That sounds great. Thank you so much for listening to the episode today. If you would like to get a free marketer's guide to podcast advertising, you can head on over to truenativemedia.com and you will find that guide there. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as I have, and I will catch you on the next one. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast to advertising playbook, your source to a better understanding of the podcast to advertising industry. 